0: You are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 at
1: 107.5 The Fan. Kevin and Query yeah. on a Tuesday morning. I'm Mark Dykedon. in for Kevin Bowen, who's on paternity leave as he and his wife Maddie welcomed Max Bowen into the world uh, last Friday. Jay Query here as well. Sam Fritz on the ones and twos. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, Indianapolis star Colts reporter Joel Erickson. And Joel just started off right out of the gate uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, you got some interesting quotes from him uh, following the tie in Houston. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Rodrigo Blankenship's headspace is following the game in Houston, and what do you think the Colts do going forward with him?
2: Yeah. So it it's a little hard to read some of the stuff he said because if you take it on face value, it's it's really tough to swallow it. I think especially the piece he was asked a question about, you know, he made kicks early in the game. um and trying to sustain that through, through the whole game to the, to the, the end of it. And he said uh, something along the lines of, I don't have the exact quote right in front of me. It's something along the lines of a tie is better than a loss. And it just didn't, it didn't come off great. Um, because, the, you know, a, a tie is better than a loss, but they could have, it should have been a win, you know, that, 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 there wasn't the choice when, when they lined up for that field goal. Um, and I, I think part of that is just trying to – you have to try to move forward somehow if you're an athlete. You can't just wallow necessarily in, in the mistake. And you hear that with guys all the time. is They're, they're trying to figure out – if you wallow in the mistake, you're going to keep making them. So I think part of that is just trying to move past it. But with what the Colts do, um, it, it felt like when, when Vinatieri went through this, you know, so much of it was about who Vinatieri had been, his consistency over the years – we don't have that with Blankenship. Um, we've got a history of missed kicks in big moments, big kicks, long kicks. I think it's something that we talked about. Uh, definitely on this show, you know, all through training camp in the off season, that the kicker position was one you didn't feel settled about or good about. And then, so when you have a big kick in that situation, um, you, you sort of expect them to make a move. Uh, whether or not they do, I, I don't know. They've they've kind of zigged in this situation when everyone else thinks they should zag. Uh, but it it felt like just the lack of consistency. They, they said over and over in training camp that you want consistency. You can't have a, a, a hit like that on a 42-yard field goal. If you miss it, you know, miss it because something went a little wrong, not, not a lot wrong like that. I mean, that kick was never close.
3: You know, I, I just – Joel, a lot of people pointed this out, and I think it's fair. Rodrigo Blankenship's a nice guy. He's a fun personality. You know, he's he's seemingly off-field, done all the right things, said all the right things, whatever else, bottom line. And I, the guy didn't have a strong enough leg, plain and simple. I mean, no matter how dialed in he is, I, listen, if if you were an NBA general manager and your shooting guard is the guy that needs to hit three-point shots for you and you realize that he is the most deadly mid-range shooter in the NBA, but once you get him out to, to three-point range – He's a thirty five percent shooter, that's not good enough. Same thing, right?
2: Yeah, and, and I think the 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 part that comes on to the back end of it too is just he's not deadly necessarily from middle range. I mean he's he's good from middle range. He's but but there's 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 misses in big situations. There's a thirty-three yard miss against Buffalo in the playoffs. There's the forty two yard miss yesterday. You know, it's uh, my my editor Nat Newell looked it up and that's an eighty-two the NFL over the last ten years is is forty or eighty two point two percent from forty two yards. It, this one, this one is in a dome. <laughs> it's in a dome. There's no weather. There's no. There's no nothing to worry about with the footing. It's just a kick that has to be made. Like you, you get down to the forty two. I don't think any fan watching any NFL game thinks a miss. They just don't. Um, not unless you're dealing with you know. Uh, a backup long snapper like Cincinnati was on on Sunday or something like that. But if, if a kicker gets to 42 yards, you're just thinking of that as a make, um, and it just it has to be closer than it was.
1: So Frank Reich mentioned uh, talking with Ballard about the kicking situation. Is there any chance a kicker or two comes to West 56 this week, or do you think they're just going to ride Rodrigo into Jacksonville and I, go from there?
2: I think there's a chance that there's tryouts. Uh, I think there's a there's a chance that there's a move made. They. You know, Reich was was given a chance to to express his confidence in in Blankenship yesterday, and he he stopped short of doing that, which is not like him um, in general. In general, his his philosophy is as long as they're on the team, uh, he's confident in them and he's supporting them until they're not. Uh, And he he stopped a little bit short of that, I thought, in his answers yesterday. And and so I, I think there's definitely a possibility of a kicking move that goes beyond tryouts, that goes to an actual move.
3: Joel Erickson is our guest. Joel, I want to shift to the Jacksonville game, and I'm going to give you – I'm going to spell out something for you. We're going to do a thing that I do a lot, which is I'm going to spell out something and then you tell me, in your opinion, uh, you know, hyperbole or reality, okay? Um, For whatever reason – well, I know the reason last year. Uh, Jim Mercer spent basically six months flip-flopping in bed and waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, sometimes to auction on guitars and the rest of the time because Jacksonville still was haunting him. And for that reason, Frank Reich has to know that this game, despite what he says, is totally different because they put themselves in position now where – it's gonna feel like they are taking on water, not just because they are still winless after two games if they don't win on Sunday, but also because they did not slay the dragon and exercise the demon that has most haunted their franchise and their their owner more than anything of the last five years. And the pressure's mounting. Your thoughts.
2: I I think I think based on the owners' meetings, I would I think that, that maybe Tennessee winning the last couple division titles is a bigger deal to Ursley than, than the Jacksonville thing but I agree with you that this game is more than just uh, a road game in the division, uh, especially given the fact that they tied, um, you know, this, they, this team has gotten itself out during the right there has gotten itself out of some, some bad situations. So you can't, you can never really write them off. Um, but you, when you look at the schedule, you look at Houston and Jacksonville and, and they're, they're both curse games. The opener is a curse game for the Colts and the Jacksonville is a curse game for Whatever reason, I mean, there's some really inexplicable ones in there. The the 2018 one to me is the most confusing one to understand in retrospect because that was the hottest team in football. Um, But in terms of this game, what it means, I do think that there's added weight to it in terms of what it means to this team. You know, people were mentioning it. Quentin Nelson, uh, Kenny Moore mentioned it in the locker room. We have to play well at Jacksonville. It's a place we haven't played well at all. It's, it's on the minds of the guys who have been down there and lost games that they should have won.
1: It is pretty wild that like we're at the point in the, with the franchise that the Jaguars and Texans are given the Colts fits. Usually they, those are, you know, earmarked as four wins right out of the gate. Now you're happy to leave Houston with a tie and you're sweating, heading into Jacksonville. Uh, speaking of that, is there any insight? Have you gotten any about Ursay's reaction to Sunday's game against the Texans, how they followed up last season's stinker of a finale and they, Followed it up with a tie in Houston.
2: Nothing other than his nothing other than his tweets, which were um, I thought vaguely positive, um, maybe more positive than I was about it. So, you know, he had the tweet about 517 yards. I don't have anything from behind the scenes on that.
1: Okay, and then regarding uh, Shaq Leonard's timetable, uh, obviously he took a step back last se- last week, went from full to limited, and then he was ruled out relatively quickly. Heading into Sunday's game, uh, Frank Reich says they'll have to reevaluate and see where it goes from here. I don't think there's any chance he suits up on Sunday, and if not, uh, when do you see him getting back under center, under line, and in linebacker position?
2: I I think that, that maybe there's a chance for him this week. I mean, we we don't know until they start actually, you know, going on Wednesday. Usually, you know, that's that's kind of the thing with with asking questions about uh, players who have been injured for a while on Monday when we first talked to Reich is there's not a lot of information to give us because they have to, they have to practice and Mondays is a Monday's is a walkthrough as they're kind of going through the mistakes of the game and trying to let the player's bodies recover. So it's, he doesn't have a lot of information where like, he didn't, the, the, the thing with the last week with him being full and then limited had more to do with what the Colts were doing in practice uh, than it did with his condition. Uh, it wasn't like the trainers pulled back on him after Wednesday. I, I don't know if that would be the case this week uh, where it's, it's hard to read because the the practice is a little bit different, but I think there's a chance this week for Leonard. Uh, the fact that he's been out there for two weeks now probably helped, um, but it's, it's been a hard situation to read just because I don't, I don't feel like we've necessarily, like we necessarily know from, e- from either party from, from Leonard or from uh, the Colts exactly what they're thinking.
3: You know, Joel, are we giving a free pass here to Matt Ryan? Because for the better part of that game I, in Houston, I think Matt Ryan, you know, the 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 fumbles, I maybe he was expecting better protection, I don't know. But um sometimes I think guys live off their reputation. Again, one game not a season make. But were we too soft on Matt Ryan?
2: I I thought his game was kind of in the middle.
3: I, yeah, I, I mean, look, you got to give him credit because the comeback on Jonathan Taylor is a big part of that, obviously. But um, you know, I, obviously, he put them back in position to be within position, right? But man, the yeah, first the first half of that game was rough.
2: And and if you, the other thing is like I thought that the best play he maybe made in the whole game was ruined by Alec Pierce. Uh, he kind of bought time, moved around a little bit, gave time for stuff to get open and then puts a perfect ball on him and it gets dropped. I mean, it's, it's that's not a Ryan. It's not a Ryan problem. He, he did everything he had to to get the touchdown. Pierce drops it. Same thing with the Doolin play. You know, that's, that's a good throw. It's a good throw high. It's above everybody else. Receivers should come down with that. So there's, there's some of that in there too, when you're looking at his game where there's plays that didn't get made, but it's not his fault. They didn't get made uh, on the flip side um, you know uh the the fumbled snaps is weird. That's just something that can't happen. You don't see fumbled snaps happen a bunch in NFL games uh and and, and you know they, they they only scored three points through three and a half quarters, so it wasn't like he was tearing it up given the the yard I mean they, they had the yardage uh but in terms of points, which is what matters. so I was I was kind of in the middle it was a it was a middle game for me. Uh, I do think, though, the, the one thing that I took away from it was, you know, he's, he's known as somebody who can get back into games. And and I don't know. I think I think that he, the stuff we got from the locker room afterwards was part of the reason that they got back into that game, a game that they absolutely deserved to lose based on the way they played early, it w- was because of Ryan's steady hand. So there, there's, like I said, the middle for me. There's, there's a lot on both sides.
1: Yeah, I think ninety five percent of the you, you play ninety five percent of the rest of the league and you don't win that game on Sunday. You are lucky to be playing the Texans. Uh Joel A. Erickson joining us on the Payless Lickers hotline. It's Kevin Aquari on ninety three five and one oh seven five the fan. Joel, what are your thoughts on Frank Reich saying they'll continue to rotate Matt Pryor and Bernard Ryman at left tackle? Is that a recipe for success or could that be detrimental in the long run?
2: I I'm a little confused by it. Uh you don't usually do that in the NFL. Um you don't usually do that with offensive linemen. I was also a little bit confused by just like the the, the cameo-like nature of it. Um, you get 12 snaps out of 92 at left tackle. So you're, you know, somewhere a little north of 10%. Like very, very brief. Um, very brief. I, I don't know. I, it's a little confusing to me. I'm, I'm not used to seeing it. I understand that the, I, you know, I understand that they want to develop Raymond and make Raymond and make him into the left tackle of the future. Totally get that. Uh, I just I'm just not used to seeing it from anybody in the league where they they rotate and and last year when they were rotating Reed and Gawinski, that didn't really turn out to that didn't really work out that well either. They ended up just going back to Gawinski after a little while.
3: You know, I actually thought you tell me if you agree. I, does it mean that you're ready to just plug and play right now and write it out for his career and turn that page? I don't know, but I thought Ryman did okay, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't when he was in I didn't have any um I don't remember, it, you know. Right, that's writing his name down or things. Which is about the best
3: thing much. for a rookie lineman, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
3: Yep. You know, the play calling. Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Stars, our guest on the Payless Liggers guest line. Bottom line, Joel. You get inside the five yard line in the red zone. You got fourth and goals. You got a guy you're paying twenty million dollars to on the at guard and the league's leading rusher behind him. Why would you not just hand it off to Jonathan Taylor and go right behind him? Are, are we getting too cute and too creative? Not, not we. Well, I'm saying the, the Colts in general are they getting too cute, too cute, too creative?
2: So. So here's, here's the hard part for me with, with this is I don't have enough information. I don't have, I don't have all the information that they do. And none of like none of us do. It's, it'd be really hard to go back and figure out how many times they've run his own read. Uh, you'd have to basically watch all of the games from the last four years. Uh, how many times they've run his own read when they've run it uh, to find out, you know, Frank said that they've been very successful on that. Um I don't have the data in front of me to to back that up. I don't know exactly. Um, And I also don't know how the Texans have played against the zone read in the past, if they've had trouble with it in terms of it being cute. Like I get it. It's a wildcat. There's no Matt Ryan's not taking the snap, whatever, but it's a zone read is actually a very simple run play. And the way the blocking goes, Quentin Nelson is, is, would have been the guy leading Heinz. Now, Normally you would want Taylor going up the middle and Heinz going outside, but a lot of it depends on the ball handling of, you know, can Taylor handle what's a fairly complex um, ball handling type of thing. So I don't know. There's, there's factors in there that I don't know with the zone read that I get the idea that it's cute, but it's also sort to me, a zone read is a very basic run play in, in my head. So that's the hard part for me is, it's cute because now he, you can use the word cute and you know, Hines is the Hines is the tailback, but the actual play itself is like, I mean, there's entire college offenses that it's their base play. It's a, The most basic play they have is a zone read because it's power up the middle and it gives you the option to go around the outside.
1: He is Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. You can find him at, at Joel A. Erickson on Twitter. Joel, we appreciate the time as we turn the page to Jacksonville and see what the Colts do on Sunday. Thank you for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys joel a erickson there for his latest check out the indy star
3: you know people got fired up over the blanket ship discussion right
1: yeah it's a hot topic hot rod is a hot topic
3: red zone i'm telling you like it just seemed to me and i get it sometimes i think guys in sports there are certain things that Ruin is the wrong word, but Tom Crean with Indiana basketball. I always felt like one of the worst things to happen for Tom Crean was one of the best things to happen to Tom Crean, and that was when he took Marquette to the Final Four because Dwayne Wade became unstoppable. And then Tom Crean fancied himself as a recruiter that could discover the Dwayne Wade in anybody. And Lightning struck twice when he got Victor Oladipo, who was—and credit to Tom Crean. Tom Crean can develop some guys, don't get me wrong. And Victor Oladipo blossomed under Tom Crean as well. But then I—it seemed to me like Tom Crean began to fancy himself as a recruiting diamond in the rough guru that could discover guys that were dispatched elsewhere or overlooked elsewhere— And then they ended up with players that, quite frankly, were not Big Ten caliber players and an inconsistency for Indiana that ultimately led to the demise of Tom Crean. Frank Reich, when Carson Wentz went down and Nick Foles took over and the Eagles made their Super Bowl run, Frank Reich was a very creative play caller. And he was able to pull strings and find a confidence within Nick Foles that lifted Philadelphia to the promised land. And while that was great for Frank Reich, I also wonder if at times that's not his Dwayne Wade, Victor Oladipo, because then he fancies himself as too creative. He's the guy that, out, that, that can outthink everybody. The quarterback whisperer, as they call him. Correct. So you get down to fourth and goal, and you're going to, instead of going to your bread and butter, you're going to outthink it, and you're going to direct snap in the Wildcat to Naeem Hines. And what did I say about Naeem Hines? The one thing about him is if the only time he's on the field is when it's he's on the field to get in the ball, then it's pretty obvious when he's on the field what the play's going to be, Right. But sometimes you don't need to outthink it, Jonathan Taylor. You look late in the in, when the Colts needed it. Taylor left side for 14 yards. Taylor up the middle for seven yards. I mean, the guy was averaging at one point in, in a quarter like seven yards of carry. You would think when you have an elite level left tackle or excuse me left guard that you just paid is the highest paid in the history of the league at his position, and Jonathan Taylor behind him, that it's go time, right? You and would you would think that right then the formula would be simple. John's been waiting patiently. What's up, John? Good morning to you. John, you there? Yep. Well, Oh, man. My bad, John. All right. John waited too long, right? Well,
1: he's Jake Query. I'm Mark Dykton. I've got a question I want to pose to Jake that we'll talk about on the other side of the break. Is Frank Reich's aggressiveness – Detrimental to Rodrigo Blankenship. We'll explain next. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.
0: You're listening to Kevin and Query on
3: 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Final hour of the program. Sorry, Mark. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Jay Query here along with Mark Dykton on Kevin and Query. Sam Fritz running the big board for us. Mark, you had mentioned that, and I thought you had a good question regarding Frank Reich and kind of the – it feels like look it's one game right mm-hmm. and i said yesterday it's always overreaction monday but it does does it not feel like the colts have some kind of bubbling you know bibbling bubble boiling trouble right like the colts have some some things that are just kind of rearing their ugly head in in a couple of different areas
1: yeah so my question to you is could frank reich's aggressiveness be Detrimental to Rodrigo Blankenship. I'll set you an example. First and goal at the Texans 9 on Sunday. You walked away with zero points because you got super aggressive. He had you opti- opted to go to Blankenship. Not only do you give him a chip shot field goal, you take the lead, and you also maybe take give him a confidence boost going forward in the game, and instead you went for it. You didn't end up with any points, and then the game ends up coming down to Blankenship's leg on a 42-yarder, and he buckled. So could Frank Reich... Could Frank Reich be helping Blankenship by giving them those chip shots, giving them that confidence boost, a little little help, and then you know going forward, maybe he's like, I can make this 42-yarder. I'm two for two or whatever he would be at that point. But instead, you're taking the game out of his leg, and you're putting it into Jonathan Taylor's hands or whatever that wildcat formation was, and you're opting for that instead of surefire points, and then you're putting more pressure on Blankenship to hit these game winners or late in the game, try to take the lead.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I've said. We were, I was at a golf outing for Bailey and Wood down in Greenwood about a month ago, and Jeff Saturday was there. And everybody's getting ready to go out and golf, and a guy yells at me and goes, Hey, Query, like, just always make sure you get to the free throw line during horse, which is kind of a euphemism for life, right? Like, when it comes down to it, when things aren't going well, You go back to doing what you do do well to recapture the basics. And when you're playing horse, I've always said, you try to knock down a few outside jumpers to to rattle the guy you're playing against or gal. And if if your shot's not falling, just go to the free throw line and and get yourself a few free throws to get your rhythm again. And that's kind of what you're talking about there, right? Mm -hmm. Like let Hot Rod just get his rhythm again but mark i mean it again i know he's a nice guy i know he's a likeable personality is he a, is any you know is rodrigo blanketship an nfl kicker i, I mean, don't know you know he you've got to be able to to me and look i know it i know it's one of the hardest but honestly it's one of the more underappreciated jobs in sports being a kicker but for me, I've. When I worked in television, let me tell you what I loved. And when I work in radio, what I love, I love when all hell breaks loose. When I worked in TV, I absolutely got an adrenaline rush and I loved going out and doing a live shot or anchoring a, a, a sports cast. It's routine, right? Mm hmm. What I loved is when you were doing a live shot and you lost your IFB, you had no communication back with the booth or the computer where they had to roll tape was frozen and they couldn't get anything going and you knew people in the booth were freaking out and all hell was breaking loose and the microphone and the camera are on you and you know that in that moment, Everything is reliant upon you not letting the listener or the viewer know that all hell's breaking loose. And I loved that because, and I'm not saying that I did it flawlessly every time, but I loved it because to me, that's when you earn your money. When when you're calling the Indianapolis 500 and it's lap 82 and it's just routine and the guy's got a four-second lead and they're coming past you, okay, great. But there's two and a half laps left to go in the race, and they're side by side, and somebody darts out of line in a traffic of 20 cars coming at you up the straight from five-eighths of my way. I'm not saying I've hit it every time, but that's when you earn your money, when all hell's breaking loose. And in any line of work, I think people thrive off that. As a kicker, you to me, where a kicker earns his money is when the game is on the line the clock is running out. Your quarterback's limping up to the line. It's a rainstorm. You're down two, and you. Know, everybody in the building knows that you're going to have to get a field goal to win it, and they're trying their best to get you within as close a range as possible, but they know... All they've got to do is get it down to like the 37-yard line to give themselves a shot with a 54-yarder. That's where as the kicker, you earn your money. And I want a guy on my sideline that, that I know is thriving on that and at least feels like he's got a shot to get his money in that 54-yarder. Say what you want about Vanderjet and I know he missed the biggest kick probably in his career here, but... That dude was not afraid of it, and he went out there in Denver in the snow and hit a 50-yarder to force overtime and a 56 or something to win it. I mean, when it came down to it, that guy—that you want a guy that at least puts you in that you know you can—you're always in range. Well, that's why I had, I had
1: zero issue with the Ravens paying Justin Tucker because correct, he earned every cent he's getting. He's reliable. He can hit from deep. That is one cause of no cause of concern for the Ravens is when you trot Justin Tucker out there, ninety nine times out of a hundred, it's going to be good, and usually it's a hundred times out of a hundred because he's that good. So if you have that reliability at kicker, that's something the that Colts fans have longed for since Adam Vinatieri left. And right, you know, I mean, what's more maddening for Colts fans, the kicking position or the quarterback position? The last few years,
3: probably the quarterback position because the quarterback carries the quarterback influences every play of the game that's why the quarterback these
1: kicks keep coming down to games being won or lost and everything it's just like can we get some consistency here uh, but it's the same two different positions but the same issue there's no
3: consistency fair I, i just to me like you want i think rodrigo blankenship is a nice guy and a fun story and everything else i don't think he is at this point, showing to be a reliable, consistent NFL-level kicker. And again, I'm going to go back to what I talked about earlier. And yeah, I will never, ever, ever walk away from or bypass an opportunity to pat myself on the back. And I meant it. I, However, disingenuous to say that this is exactly why I meant it. But when we did our list of 10 most indispensable Colts, and at number 10, and I prefaced it by saying, look, I'm not legitimately saying that this guy is one of the 10 most indispensable players, but it is rare that we get an opportunity to give an attaboy to Rigoberto Sanchez. And at the time I said, and by definition, he is indispensable because he's the only guy on the roster that does what he does. Now, granted, and and Kevin pointed out, well, last year he missed a couple games and what happened? You know, they were fine. Fair. But now that he's not there, what does he do besides punting? Kickoffs. What else? Holding. What are two areas? If Rodrigo Blankenship, with his missed field goals, if those are not entirely on Rodrigo Blankenship, who's it on? I know. The holder? Yep. And the kickoffs. If Rodrigo Blankenship is missing field goals because it's mental for him because of the fact that he just butched not one but two or botched, not one but two kickoffs. That's an area also that Rigoberto Sanchez did. Guess what? Turns out pretty indispensable, right? Culture call
1: the Kansas City Chiefs try to get Justin Reed. Did you see that over the weekend? How Harrison Butker went out and then they had Justin Reed, who was a former high school kicker. And he drilled it and then he kicked off and he kicked it in through the uprights. Did That's you see pretty that? awesome. And Patrick Mahomes was beside himself on Have the I ever line. told you
3: this? I have a theory here. If I was in charge of the NFL, and I, I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. What? How wide are the uprights? How wide? Mm-hmm. What's oh, the width? I don't know off the top of my head. It's got to be what, 60 feet, 90 feet? 18 feet, 6 inches. It's only 18 feet? Okay. The uprights? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Those are only 18 feet across? Width-wise, yes. It seems way bigger than that. Yeah. Anyway, 18 feet, okay. So you got to kick a ball between an area that's 18 feet wide, Right. You hit the uprights and it bounces off and it doesn't go in between the middle. It's no good. You, you lose your three points. Do you know how hard it is to hit the upright? Oh,
1: well, Cody Parkey excelled at it.
3: I, if you call your shot, it should be five points. You hit the upright, five points. You hit the upright, tw- you hit the upright and bounce it off the crossbar, six. See, this is your MTV internship coming back because that's
1: rock and jock rules right there. Remember the rock and jock games back in the day, the basketball games where you'd
3: drill like, shoot it up think sixty feet it. and it's a hundred points. Think about it though. If we'll go actually four points. Four points if you hit a crossbar, five if you hit the crossbar. I mean, I was sorry, the four points if you hit the upright, five if it then if you hit that and the crossbar. What do you, you know how hard that is to do? So if you know if you're down four. Twenty-five, you know, two seconds to go in the game, and you're on the twenty-five yard line. You line the kicker up, and you tell him, "Look, man, you got to hit the like hit hit the upright." How about ten? They points? know how hard that is to do. How about
1: ten points if you hit in the second row? So, for real, fifteen if you bust someone's nose.
3: Yeah, that's cool. But honestly, though, like think about it. When when somebody hits the upright, and everybody's like, "Oh no!" How often do you see how how many how many football games have you watched in your life? Now you're a Bears fan, so you've seen the upright get hit more than most. But yes. but honestly. Over the course of a year, how many times does a kicker hit the uprights?
1: I mean, you probably see it a handful of times a season. A handful
3: of times, right? But he's
1: hitting a field goal like 30 times a year. There's no better sound, too, especially if you're the the team that the field goal gets. It is crazy. Right. The echo throughout the stadium. Not too bad. Kurt has been hanging in for a long time. Kurt wants to talk kickers. Good morning, Kurt. What's up?
4: Good morning from Arkansas, guys. How are you
3: doing? Kurt, you've been on hold for an hour. Now, what the hell is going on in Arkansas that allows you an hour to wait on hold on a radio show in Indianapolis, which we appreciate? (laughs) Are you working today, Kurt?
4: I am. I was driving into work, and then when I got here. Well, where do you
3: live? In Missouri? (laughs) No. You're driving an hour to work every day? There can't be traffic in Arkansas. Not too
0: too much, no. (laughs) All right, what's going on?
3: So, you know, I was thinking about
4: this kicker thing, and, you know, back when the draft happened, I'm not going to say, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking is easy, right? But I do remember looking at who's available out there because I was concerned about kickers. And, you know, only one kicker was drafted this year, and it was Cade York, I think, for the Cleveland Browns from LSU. 124th pick, you know, fourth round. But I went and looked at all the team's rosters, and no one, there are no other rookie kickers this year there are only like I think two that were second year players. So I mean these positions don't turn very often, right? So I know you said there's not many people out there. But man, you know, we we always throw away some of these picks on like maybe the Cincinnati defensive end or you know, a couple guys that don't make it, fifth or sixth round picks. And it looks like about a third of the kickers in the league get picked in like the fifth, sixth or seventh yeah, round. Yeah, so
3: in other right words, there. if you draft if you burn your 7th or 8th round pick on a kicker, you're getting an upper echelon player of the position, whereas if you draft a 7th or 8th round defensive lineman, you're getting like a a lower heap, right?
4: Exactly. It's like maybe one or two kickers get drafted. Last year, I don't think any kickers got drafted. So it's like if you do spend one, if there's one worth grabbing, it's probably going to be a legit player, right? So. Just a thought there that, um, you know, these don't turn very often and uh, there's probably not many available out there. But if only the LSU kicker was gone, like who was the number two kicker in college? You know, was there anyone that was worth it that, uh, you know, it's not on a roster right now, but, you know, obviously we need to make a change. I mean,
3: listen, I, and, and I appreciate it, Kurt. I, Evan McPherson for the Bengals was the lone
1: kicker taken last year's draft, by the way. He was a fifth round pick and that seemed to turn out pretty well for them last season from the Super Bowl. Had a rough rough day on Sunday. I was going to say, didn't he miss? He did. Well, Laces were in. That's right. Was that Dan Dan Marino's fault? (laughs) Dan Marino should rot in hell and die.
3: Excuse me? That's from Mace Ventura. Do you know the question I asked Dan Marino once in an interview, and he laughed, and, and I was amazed by this? There's no greater compliment to a reporter or an interviewer. Then when you ask somebody a question and they say, you know, I've never been asked that before. To me, that's that. Or when they say, well, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. But when you say, when you're interviewing somebody who's been interviewed a thousand billion times, and they say to you, I've never been asked that before, you're like, really? Okay. So I asked Dan Marino once. This was after he had retired. He was in Indianapolis. I I don't remember for what the Spectrum Awards or something, and I was in. He was made available, and I was working in TV at the time, and I'm interviewing him. And we're talking about Peyton Manning, you know, and whatever else. It was when Manning was still here. And at the end of the interview, I say, hey, question for you. He says, okay. And I said, can you tell me why? Now, let me ask you this, Mark Dykton. This may be a little before your time, quote, unquote. Do you remember what product Dan Marino was most known for endorsing? Is it
1: Isotoners from Ace Ventura? correct.
3: So I say to him, he was like the face of Isotoner Gloves. Mm-hmm. So I say to him, why in the world would a guy that lived in Miami need Isotoner Gloves? In what, in what situation, living in Miami as the quarterback of the Dolphins, did you ever need Isotoner Gloves? Now, he's a native of Pittsburgh, granted, right? Or, Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania. But... He actually said, you know, I've never been asked that before, and then laughed and goes, that is a great question. And he said, I can't believe the isotoner folks never thought of that. It's like the rice folks, As right? long as the check clears, I'll endorse anything. Of course. Yeah.
1: Of hey, course. I don't care if I'm in Miami. You want me to wear a weather a winter jacket, I'll do it. Gore-Tex. It's Gore-Tex.
3: But, uh, but listen, Blankenship had always said that or, or Blankenship, excuse me, after the game said, "Like, listen, everything was perfect. Hold was great, laces were out, okay." But, but there is, from a kicker standpoint, I think continuity goes a long way as well. Well, we we hinted
1: at the uh, we Joel Erickson had some interesting quotes about Blankenship regarding the kick, and he said it didn't feel great coming off my foot. I just didn't make contact how I wanted to. I didn't really hit the ball square and had kind of a lazy follow through. This okay. is obviously it's not ideal. Obviously you'd like to make that kick and win the game, but to tie is still better than a loss. I believe, I guess that's a silver lining that I'll take moving into the next week. So you you're, you're saying you half-assed the follow through and then you're saying, well, it ties better than a loss, which it is, but I wouldn't take that mentality
3: into right. the Jaguars game on Sunday for God's sake. Uh, hey, Jake, you always crack me up. I'm listening to your show. You thought the upright was like 60 to 90 feet across. Do the world a favor and please don't go into construction. No, nah, I'm telling you, my cousin owns a construction company. That's good enough, right? I'm—I mean, I am clueless on that stuff. Zero question about it. Blaze, what's up?
0: Hey, good morning, guys. Blaze, you got
3: a great voice. Have you been told you have a great voice? <laughs> do voiceover oh, work?
0: You know what? I knew you guys were going to say that actually. So yeah, I do have a great voice. I hear it. I quite often, be honest.
3: <laughs> now, where are you right now, Blaze? It sounds like you're—are you like in an elevator?
0: Um, I'm actually at a school.
3: Yeah. You're a at a school. Yes. Yeah. Are you a teacher?
0: Yeah, substitute.
3: Yeah. Okay. What school are you in today? Can we say?
0: Uh, no, I'd rather not say.
3: What subject? How's that? What subject?
0: I'm a building sub, so I'm all all subjects.
3: Well, that's. I mean, what what subject today?
0: Um, nothing today. It's class, sir.
3: Okay, fair enough. <laughs>
0: nothing today.
3: Well, what's the noise in the background? Like are you building stuff? What the hell's going on in the background?
0: Um, student check-in.
3: Uh, okay. All right. Uh so what's on your mind?
0: Uh yes. Uh just want to call about uh Frank Wright and Rodrigo relationship and the the correlation between those two uh <laughs> two gentlemen um with Frank Wright in his fourth fourth down play calls um, and his aggressiveness, which has cost the Colts many games, at least four over his tenure on the road, going back to 2018 in Jacksonville, going into playoff game with the Bills. And there's maybe other games that, hey, you know what? If we just took the points, hey, we would have got this win. But going with what Mark was saying, hey, with Frank Wright keep going for it on fourth downs? Is he... Is it detrimental to the confidence of Rodrigo Blankenship, and what Rodrigo Blankenship really needs, right guys, would be experience. He's a young kicker. He needs these tries. He needs these attempts. Let's get him these attempts because we know that he's still going to be the kicker come Sunday. I would cut him because you just want your kicker to make from fifty out.
3: I mean, that's the thing, Blaze. Don't you agree? Like to me, a kicker is defined by I. A kicker to me is defined by what he can do from like 45 outward, right? I mean, I'm assuming if you are a kicker in the National Football League, you can kick some extra points and you can kick the occasional 35-yard field goal. What I need is a guy that is reliable and and that I can count on from 45 out. And I'm sorry, if you've got got a kicker that is feast or famine from 45 out, you don't have a kicker. Right. Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, we even talked about in the preseason, like instead of going for it on these fourth downs or whatever, like preseason games don't count. So give Rodrigo Blankenship some times to line up to 50 yarders or more than 50 yarders and just see what you got. They're not, not going to hurt you. wins and losses in the preseason don't matter, and they didn't take those opportunities. They instead were still being aggressive, opening the playbook, like going for it on fourth downs, and I, just, I didn't agree with it then. I don't agree with it now because I think it's hurt you in the past, and now you still don't know if Blankenship is – even competent, 45 yards and plus. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think they have a kicker. I, I I, don't understand those quotes that he made after the Texans game. I mean, again, you're admitting that you didn't put your heart and soul into that kick on the follow-through, and then you're saying, well, I'll take that mentality going forward. I That's not a mentality I really want coming from a kicker who missed a game-winning field goal at 45 yards. So, I... I don't know. I, they've got a lot of questions that they need to clean up. Steve wants to talk. Rodrigo Blankenship. Steve, good morning. How you doing? Yeah,
3: hello, Steve, you Steve, there? Yeah. You there?
5: Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, we yeah, got up? you. What's up? Hey, I, um, I, either I haven't been paying attention or I just didn't know. Uh where's Badgley
1: at these days?
3: That's a really good question, actually. I think he is still a free agent. Is he not marketed to somebody sign him?
1: He was one of the free agents I because saw Because, Steve, was still available. to
3: your point, even if Badgley's not there, Steve, wouldn't, and I think this is probably the point you're rhetorically making, Badgley is at least representative of the fact that there are guys out there that can be obtained, right?
5: Right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I'm not saying to replace him, but I mean, could he be so expensive that we couldn't put him on the roster for short term or.
3: By the way, Steve, you sound know. like a nice fella. Uh, can we play "Get to Know Your Listener" with you real quick? We've had a lot of success with this; people enjoy it thoroughly. Can we? Are you ready to play around of it real quick?
5: Go for it, man. Okay.
3: Steve, are you in the car currently? Yes. Okay, ten and two, please, if you could. Uh, where are you driving currently?
5: Sixty-five North, uh, approaching uh, uh, Rensselaer. Oh wow! So you- see you on iHeart.
3: Got us on the app then. Okay, we appreciate that. Yeah. Rensselaer, by the way, also known as the only McDonald's stop between here and Chicago, or I believe the home of Saint, the former St. Joe's College. Um, how's traffic on 65? Everything going okay?
5: Yeah, actually, you're wrong. There's a uh, 65 at the uh, Remington exit. What's that? There's a McDonald's at the Remington exit.
3: Oh, gotcha. you. true. Okay. I've been to that one. Before. Now, um, Is there any construction
1: going on 65? I feel like there's no <laughs> yeah. construction
3: going on.
5: Uh, up, uh, up north of the, uh, the big dairy farm. There's a lot of construction. Oh, Fair
3: now, Steve, you're yeah, going so where I, on 65 today? Your ultimate destination is where
5: I'm going downtown Chicago.
3: Oh, really? For what, uh, what brings you to downtown for a, Chicago
5: for a, for a meeting
3: just for the day?
5: Uh, yeah, just for the day. Are you going then, to be uh, able
3: to get in one of the little cubes in the Willis tower that everybody actually still calls the Sears tower?
5: No, I've did that. And, uh, I have no no desire to do it again. Did Dude. you
1: bring in a kayak? I feel like you're going to need that to get through the Chicago <laughs> streets because I don't think it's cleared no. up from Sunday.
5: I've uh, I've did the Chicago architectural cruises on the Chicago River. I've did about everything. So do,
3: do uh, you can Do you consider Garrett's? I think it's called Garrett's. Their popcorn to be better than um, just Pop In in Indianapolis. I think just Pop In is superior. Your thoughts?
5: Yeah, yeah. Garrett's is overpriced. Uh, they're kind of like. They're living on their name. Oh, That's yeah. good. But uh, <laughs> places, is they, there's places downtown you're gonna need a driver and have somebody jump out to get the popcorn and then get back in the car. Yeah. There's but uh no, it's it's really expensive now. I haven't bought any in a long time, but all
3: right, yeah, Steve, last question you. for you. If if at your meeting, if they said, Hey, businessman special, we're taking in a baseball game, would you rather go see the White Sox or the Cubs?
5: Oh, I'm White Sox all the way. Oh, I
3: like that, man, Steve. I like that. You call any time. I'm not a, like I'm not some huge by any chance uh, White Sox fan, but we did go. Did he get to ask his question? Or did you just hang up on him. No, nah, he made his point. Wasn't he the one that asked about Badgley? <laughs> I guess so.
1: Yeah, I know um, if he had something else.
3: We went to a White Sox game last year. There was a, an afternoon day, afternoon game, and we just drove up for the day, went to the game, drove back, and had a great time. It's a good, good park. ballpark. It is very a good,
1: good park. food too haven't been in a few years. Well, then uh, how
3: do you know how good the food is?
1: I'm saying I. They might the have food changed I, the menu. Well, they might have. It probably has gotten better, but it was good when I was there last. Let's take Jeff real quick before a morning check down. Jeff, good morning.
0: Good morning. How are you guys? Doing well. How about yourself? Hey, fine. Uh, I just can't take Blankenship anymore. I mean, I, you know, he's cost us games, and uh, the bottom line is. Of all the major universities, small colleges, soccer players, all the kickers in this country and maybe across the world, we can't find somebody more consistent with – and and the guy, upper body, the guy looks like uh, – Tiny Tim, I
3: mean. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tiny now, Tim. Now, wait a minute. Now, hold on. Are you meaning Tiny Tim from the from the play, or are you meaning Tiny Tim that sang uh, Tiptoe Through the Tulips and got married yeah, on the Johnny Carson show? the Tulips. Yeah. Tiptoe yeah, Through you know, the see, Tulips. See, I'm thinking of a Christmas carol. <laughs> well, there's him, and, too.
0: Yeah, and then uh, those goopy glasses, I don't know. Maybe the guy's got a vision problem. <laughs> I mean, Listen, I'll tell you, hey, the- Blob, when he played for IU... Until he graduated, they didn't find out that he had vision
3: problems. We were just talking about that. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was just literally mentioning the other day that Uwe Blopp, unfortunately, beca- became known, Jeff. I appreciate it. Like the okay. He was almost like the euphemism of bad hands, right? Like, hey, good hands, Uwe. In 1983, that was the running joke in the state of Indiana. Like, nice hands, Uwe. And then he goes to the Mavericks, and they find out, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, he needs glasses. And that's why he couldn't catch the ball. It's now like, I'm, thinking, now I'm thinking
1: about his Muppets Christmas Carol. That's a good movie.
3: You ever watch that one? The Muppets Christmas Carol? Yeah. No, the but
1: Muppets it, doing a Christmas Carol. It's got uh, Michael Caine. I do have
3: a I do have a Muppet Ebenezer question for Scrooge. you. I have a Muppet question for you that I'm going to use to test your intellect, Mark. But first, we got to get to a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 Omaha!
0: Brought to you by Ball
3: State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. It was Omaha Productions last night that allowed you to see Peyton Manning and Eli Manning wincing over every errant play for the Denver Broncos, at least in Peyton's case. Seahawks winning last night 17-16 and Russell Wilson's return to Seattle, which, by the way, Seattle is spectacular if you've never been there. Geno Smith looked pretty good, 23 of 28. I thought uh, Mark looked pretty good. It was an impressive
1: showing because I thought the Seahawks were going to be awful, and they, they impressed last night. Their fan base came out. And, uh, yeah, they look good. Geno Smith looked comparable. And uh, Will Disley, the tight end, looked good, too. So, solid effort by Seattle. I don't know if it'll maintain, but a solid Week 1 win over the Denver Broncos. <laughs> week 2 kicks off Thursday night. Chargers at Chiefs. That is an Amazon Prime
3: game. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday. It was the Pirates over the Reds 6-3. Cubs over the Mets 5-2. Dodgers a winner. Also winners yesterday. The Giants, Guardians, Astros and the Toronto Blue Jays' Albert Pujols' Cardinals were idle, so he still sits at 6'97". couple
1: names out there that the Colts could pursue on the kicking front. Michael Badgley was a name that came up. A couple other former Colts on the free agent wire as well, Elliot Fry and Jake Verity. So we'll see. Joel Erickson said he wouldn't be surprised if a couple kickers came in this week. We'll keep our ears to the ground and see if uh, any competition for Blankenship is on the forefront there
3: i thought i read that they were going to bring in already a few okay well maybe we got I something mean, I, there. no no no. i'm not i'm oh, i may have misread that. it yeah i'm not reporting that i just wouldn't surprise anybody would it if they decide to, to bring in somebody
1: wouldn't surprise me at all if you're listening now and you want to play the pop quiz that is up next 239-1070 not only if you go five for five do you get a jiflu prize pack but just for playing you'll get a four pack of tickets to the Speedrome. So give us a call, 239-1070. Pop quiz is next. You're listening to Kevin and Query, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.